Welcome to Living Untitled, a new podcast featuring conversations about the limitless optimism and possibilities in our untitled world. I'm your host, Justin Boone. For this episode, I sat down with Anthony Allen Ramos. Anthony is the Vice President of Communications and Talent at GLAAD, the world's largest LGBTQ media organization. GLAAD works to change culture, to lead the conversation about LGBTQ issues in media, and to shape narratives we all see every day. The sooner that LGBTQ kids are allowed to be themselves, the more likely they are to lead happy, successful lives. Since recording this conversation earlier this year, it has taken on a new meaning for me. This past June was a heavy month for many in the LGBTQ community, myself included. Pride was less of something that we celebrated and more something we had to defend. The governor of Florida and 2024 Republican presidential candidate, Ron DeSantis, furthered his efforts to push an attack on our community. And our conservative majority Supreme Court, this nation's highest judicial body, ruled in favor of one Christian web designer at the expense of the rights of every LGBTQ member of our American society. The culture war against our community continues to once again quicken its pace. Which is why the work that Anthony and other members of GLAAD do remains incredibly important. We are not a monolithic body to be feared, cast aside, repressed, or maliciously used as a pawn for political or personal gain. Just as the media can be used as a weapon against us, it can also be used for good. In this case, to portray the values of comprehensive, inclusive representation. Many of us are constantly shaping and trying to reshape narratives around identity, acceptance, and belonging through all types of cultural mediums. We're grateful and humbled by the opportunity to use our platform at Living Untitled to join in this work and support others like Anthony and the entire GLAAD organization as they continue to make progress on their mission. Well, thanks for joining us, Anthony. Happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about first you and GLAAD and the work that you do at GLAAD. I started in entertainment 20 years ago. Wow. Which is wild. Great. I'm only 25. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I started in country radio. Ah, was my first job in the business. That actually is more than 20 years ago. Um, I shouldn't shortchange that experience because it was great. Always knew that I wanted to be in some sort of news TV radio vibe. So I went to school yeah. for journalism. Yeah. Um, went to see. I went to CSUN. Got a really interesting experience when I was 19 to be an intern at NBC. They put me on Access Hollywood as a um, a runner, getting there at five in the morning. And so I did that for 14 years. And then at the end, I was on the show every single day and I produced both shows and was like contributing wow. every single day. And it was great. Um, loved it, learned everything I know about the business. And then in 2017, Glad, which I'll explain more about what they do and what we do, um, reached out and they were like, you know what, we'd love for someone to you know, kind of lead our Hollywood work. Would you be interested? Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Maybe, like, let's chat. And so it, we talked for like six months. And then I, you know, it's funny. I had done some work with myself, just kind of like wanting more out of life in general and yeah. just kind of figuring out, you know, that kind of personal development stuff sure. that people do. Sure. Um, so well, I did that. 14 years is a long time at somewhere. <laughs> yeah, but it's also that. But then you're like, wait a second. I've done this for 14 years. I can't let it go. Yeah. But yeah, then it just fair. felt right to do it. So flash forward to now, um, been at GLAAD since 2017. Um, I lead all of our 
Hollywood work. And what that means, I'm VP of communications and talent. So any sort of Hollywood celebrity influencer notable is my world. And I'm also executive producer of the Glad Media Awards. So Glad for context is the world's largest LGBTQ media advocacy organization. And so what that means is that we work with and through media to make sure that there are accurate, inclusive storylines and representations Mm -hmm. of LGBTQ people in film, television. Now it's video games. It's unbelievable. Comic books, graphic novels, any sort of anything where we can be included we are you know making sure that it's done well and that people have access to it that people see it that's kind of what we do differently in this whole movement of lgbtq rights um you know there's a lot of different other nonprofits that are working with us but that we all do something a little different and so ours is very much focused on the lens of media because we know so yeah. much of what people make up in their hearts and minds is yeah. based on what they see in tv and film what they read You've started to do this more recently in your reporting as an organization, like, for example, you know, your studio responsibility report. Mm -hmm. Like, that's always been almost a report card in a way for the studios in terms of how they're doing, in terms of bringing LGBTQ individuals or characters into the work, even thinking more specifically in terms of like trans representation now as of late, which is increasingly so important Mm -hmm. that we're focused on that. I'm glad that you are as an organization. But I know as of late, you've started to look, it's not just who we put on the screen, but it's also the actions that as a studio, we're taking behind the scenes, so to speak, ensuring that we're also taking those practices into our organization. And so I love that you're thinking about not just these faces Mm -hmm. and these actors and what they're portraying, but you're really, you are digging into them as individuals and how they're representing themselves and how they're working with other people and how they're still being fair and inclusive and providing this sense of belonging within their communities in one way, shape, or form, whether that's the professional community or the social community that they're a part of, and recognizing that's also important that we're evaluating that and holding these organizations and these individuals accountable for that. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, when you think about film, television, anything at this point, books, podcasts, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going to get the same rich, authentic queer story if you don't have queer people as a part of like the storytelling Mm -hmm. and story creation process. I mean, that's so important when it comes to trans stories, specifically for me as a gay man, like, there's so many nuanced things that I have experienced that someone who isn't a gay man may not pick up on or may not understand that is an important part of a story. You know, this is obviously, you know, when we're writing um, fiction and, you know, but I think it's so important. And I do see that so much more now. I mean, um, which is really great. I mean, and and it is such a time to see that, yes, we are like improving in that way when it feels like, the rest of the world is slowly collapsing mm. state by state at this point when it comes to LGBTQ legislation yes. or anti-LGBTQ legislation. So, For you and your particular role, it's balancing the relationships so that they're healthy and positive so that you can rely on these organizations, individuals within these organizations to sort of help you in terms of amplifying right. your work that you're doing within these communities, but then it's also looking at them at the same time and saying, hey, but we also need you to change. Mm -hmm. How do you go about that balancing act? I'll break it down in two ways. Like on one hand, because my job is, like I'm responsible for getting 
famous people to draw attention to important issues, essentially, yeah. if you look at it that way, yeah. in a multitude of different ways, whether it's coming to the award show, whether it's, you know, putting something on social media, doing a fundraiser, you know, I always say like things happen for a reason. Because of the reputation that I had, I think a lot of people have a familiarity and a comfortability with me now in my position at Glad. So that's mm. obviously really helpful when I need to call Taylor Swift and have her hopefully amplify and, you know, do a pride campaign. That's a very, like, general example. When it comes to just the general media relations, you can come about things super aggressively and, like, that kind of media watchdog way. And I don't always think that that's the most effective way of mm -hmm. getting mm -hmm. people to listen to you and to understand. Yeah. And so I always come about things um, in a different way. And I think, you know, we do offer a lot of... Um, resource guides for media, which is great now, because yeah. I fully understand that when it comes to all different letters of the LGBTQ community, you know, even the word cis, for example, was mm. a word that I wasn't even really familiar with yeah. before I started in the organization. And so yeah. when, you know, media is reporting on um, people who are of the community, we do have a lot of great resources that we release um, and update every year. So yeah, if we start with the conflict or the aggression, like you said, mm -hmm. you know, that's when insecurity mm -hmm. <laughs> riles up and, and people, egos and, yeah, uh -huh. exactly. Then people are defensive. And so they're mm -hmm. not coming to the table to be productive with you. But if you yeah. focus on the education, then it's like, okay, well, hey, totally, we're here to all learn and just be better together. And one of the things that I should bring up, and I think it's a good time to do so is that yes, so much of the work that Claude does is public facing, you can read about it, you can find out about it. But there is so much work that we do. We have a section called the Glad Media Institute um, where we're doing things off the record all the time. Mm. We have worked with so many high-profile people, high-profile studios, you know, people that are not even high-profile that literally are like, I don't know what to do. This is what's happening. Yeah. Am I making a mistake? Or, or it's like, I'm about to play a lesbian character, but I identify as bisexual in real life. Is that okay? Like, there's any yeah. sort of... Um, scenario that yeah. we as a nonprofit um, are, you know, offering those resources. And a lot of that, again, is because that's the relationship with the media and the relationship with these people because they know to call us. And I think a good, like, case study and story to bring up briefly, like, if you think about last year with Amy Schneider, who was a mm. trans woman on Jeopardy, you know, what an opportunity if you think about the people that watch that show to maybe yeah. be introduced to a trans person for the very first time um, and for then that opportunity for them to be like, oh, you know what, that is not at all what I thought a trans person was. Or they may have had some complete wrong idea of what that meant. Yeah. And so if you think about that kind of opportunity where we saw someone just be super success successful, live their life, you know, have that part of them be a part of them. And again, that was a situation where Jeopardy had reached out to us early on before they even started airing because, of course, they were like, we need some help in terms of when this airs, like in terms of, you know, media reaction and also how media talks about Amy and all of that. And so we, you know, worked with them really closely behind the scenes and obviously publicly once um, yeah. it was all out there. So I love hearing about this work that is happening behind the scenes in particular, because so often when we look at organizations like GLAAD, nonprofit organizations that are obviously really focused on demonstrating and proving their impact, mm -hmm. whether that is to the communities that they serve, whether that is to their donor communities, or even to, you know, business communities. It sometimes feels as if we can fall into a trap in a way that we focus so heavily on numbers, 
how do you avoid it becoming a numbers conversation and less about those amazing stories like what you just talked about with Jeopardy, where mm-hmm. that's a human face, like that's an individual that is going to resonate so much more with the community. For me and the work that I do, it's a it's a it's a balance of brand visibility of us wanting to be visible and known. We do work for the greater good of the community that hasn't that no one even knows about because it's not wrapped up in a glad you know, present. You know, like, for example, when the horrible shooting in Colorado Springs happened, we jumped into action just because we knew that we could handle this and we knew what to do. But there was no press release that said, glad is, you know, whatever. It it just was, we were like, okay, this is horrible. We have to go into action. We go into action. We know what to do. We can help these victims deal with this insane media circus that's going to, like, descend upon them. Um, And so we did. And so, yeah, I think, you know, if you look really deeply I'm sure you'll but like we did so much there just because we had the experience and then it's like for example like in Tennessee a couple months ago there was a benefit then I called the organizers and I was like hey like this is amazing that you're doing it all of it the the funds went to local LGBTQ Tennessee organizations and I said hey I would just like love to get involved and they were like oh well you know the the money is already going to I said no I was like I don't want any of the money I was like I just want like to use the the media power that we have yeah. to like make this a yeah. big thing like how can we help and so you know that happens all the time um and then obviously it's like you know with with something like um some of the more public things that we do you know our our name is a part of it but yeah it's not about like the numbers in terms i mean yeah we want to be known for the good work that we're doing but it's like there's so many things that are that we have our hands involved in that we're like you know mm. we don't need to you know, advertise. We don't need to like publicize it because it's like we we just need to do it for where we are with this kind of interesting time of the community with everything that's happening. Absolutely. And well, and like you said, 38 years later, mm-hmm. you've been fortunate enough to really establish that credibility and to be able to then leverage that to say, hey, we're we're making an impact, whether we put that on paper in a way that you can maybe understand today yeah. or not. And it's, you know, it's like we deal with this often because we are a nonprofit. And so we obviously need Mm -hmm. funding. And, you know, I think this became really apparent in in the pandemic where when you're deciding where you're going to spend your money to support a nonprofit, like it's very easy to say for uh, an organization that's feeding um, like children or, or, you know, impoverished people, it's that you can say like, $50 $50 will get you X amount of meals or yeah. like the ASPCA will say like $100 will potentially, you know, give like homes to 900 pets. That's not the right numbers, but you understand what I'm saying. I wish it was that. <laughs> um, but and so for us, it's a trick because it's like we have to figure out um, because so much of the work is it's almost like there's no numbers to put behind it. Because you, you, how do you say how much like a donation of this will because it's like so much of it is just based on how we are like kind of culturally changing the narrative but it's it, it can be difficult to put into like a yeah. stat for people how have you shifted the way that you approach development now for glad how are you continuing to be successful in in soliciting the support of the community i remember a shift and there was such a moment in 20 20 and 2021 where the development team who I do really work very closely with because a lot of times development projects like it would be great to have notables you know you know amplifying it when it's time for that but I would say overall it is an organization um, which is a great thing to talk about because 
We were in a space, I remember when it felt very much like these big corporations wanted to work with us one time of the year. And when do you think that was? During Pride. Yeah, yeah. And so we, I remember there was a a moment and we were like, this cannot be the case. It has, these companies, these big brands need to be committed to working with us all year around. Yeah. And the term rainbow washing um, is something that still comes up often. And that really pertains to companies that show up and want to do a pride collaboration, you know, as part of what they're selling during June. Yeah. So we have been super intentional about selecting and working with companies um, that fund our work that are intentional about, yes, they might be doing something for pride, but then maybe we're going to do you know, something in September to do. So it's been really successful. And I'm really happy that the team has um, been able to find people that know how important it is to, mm. to support our work 12 months of the year, not just during Pride. And I think it's also been so amazing for us as an organization to really, and I do a lot of this with my, um, if I'm like fundraising with a celebrity, for example, like I'm really intentional about this, but like we've been able to figure out like with with these brands, like don't just support Glad and that's it. Like what are, what is this funding? Like, like let's talk about where it can go specifically. Is it going to mm. support the work that we're doing to amplify queer stories in the South? Is it our yeah. work for the news and rapid response team that is, uh, you know, really tracking and working every single day in Texas and Tennessee and Florida to make sure we're not completely, you know, being erased at that at this point? Um, or is it something that's super specific to, you know, supporting the work that we do um, with with the trans media that we do? That was something Marin Morris was very passionate about over this uh Last year, actually, everything is blending together, I think, at this point. Um, <laughs> last year. And so, you know, we came up with a really interesting way for her to support um, the work that we're doing in the transmedia program. And yeah. so I think, you know, the more that people know and understand, like, all of the different nuanced things that we're doing, I mean, it's great to have that be a part of the funding that comes in from these outside businesses. How do you navigate this to shape a productive dialogue around these issues that avoids falling into a, a place where you are just sort of commiserating in the negative conversation or driving this sort of sense of like immediacy that makes it almost like people feel powerless in terms mm -hmm. of how they can help? You know, where how, how do you bring hope into a conversation and the work that you're doing like that? It's a very good question. And at some times I'm like, it's more difficult than others. But I would say that, um, you know, also like GLAD is not a political organization. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we would never tell our followers or supporters who to vote for. Mm -hmm. But we will tell people what is happening as part of the, the power of media that we have. And mm -hmm. so I think, you know, if you look at what... Is happening when it comes to legislation, especially in states like I said, Florida, Texas, Tennessee, and many others. I just keep referring to those three because they're kind of at the top of the list of the ones that mm -hmm. are doing the most um, harm at this point. But um, you know, it was it all kind of started with this kind of narrative that it was kind of putting kids at this kind of center of everything and saying it. It started mm -hmm. by saying that drag queens were dangerous because, and they weren't suitable for children to be around. And then mm -hmm. it kind of became a situation of when, then it it's evolved into when it comes to trans rights, that 
you know, kids shouldn't be allowed to make those decisions because they're not of age. Mm. And so what I would say is, is that the way that we balance that is to really push out and into the world and into the media um, a lot of stories from people to really counter that claim. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, our president and CEO, Sarah Kate, has done many talks about how the sooner that LGBTQ kids are allowed to be themselves, the more likely they are to lead happy, successful lives. And mm-hmm. so we did something um, that was really successful that was a PSA. We found a family called the Briggle family in in Texas. For lack of a better term, they look like every other middle America family. And one of their kids just happens to be a young trans kid. Mm. And so we entered, we did a whole PSA type video. It's not really a PSA, but more of a, um, but it was in in a sense um, that really ran across the country and it made a huge deal. So many people said that after they saw that they were there, they were like, that is not what I thought you know, a trans kid was, or I feel much better, you know, knowing that that kid is living their Mm. life and is happy now. The Briggle family, like, this is like the perfect opportunity for us to use our power in media to like introduce the world to these people. You mentioned Sarah Kate Ellis, your CEO. Uh, She had mentioned in an interview, speaking of younger generations right now, mentioned in an interview earlier this year, um, address the shifting mindset of younger generations mm-hmm. around the LGBTQ community. Specifically, we look at Gen Z, for example. How has that influenced your strategy as an organization, maybe even in terms of like who from within your organization you're bringing in to kind of help inform some of the strategy, the work that you're mm-hmm. doing, this discussion? You know, if you think about the youth of today, And if you then think about an organization like us that has been around a long time and, you know, the the generation of today is getting their information from TikTok and other situations and Instagram and so many things. So it's like I can understand how someone that's younger may see GLAAD as kind of like an old person organization. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I can under like if they don't feel the connection or they feel like what we did is, you know, something that was needed, you know, back in the day that I can see how there could be a disconnect. But I, so I think the solve for that is, is to be um, really intentional about the youth who we work with. Like I'm dealing with a situation right now where I think someone has a specific idea of like who they want to be kind of the public face of something. Mm -hmm. They're going for kind of this idea of like super famous person. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, wait, I was like, I think there's a really interesting opportunity here if we brought in like this great young activist from Texas who I just met to kind of be, because she is literally like, she's like getting the youth to like, she's found a way to use what she's doing on TikTok and Instagram to really resonate with these people. And so I'm like, if we want to continue this this path and kind of bring in new people and get more people to understand how important the work that we're doing is, like we need to have that kind of youth um, inclusion. And so our News and Rapid Response team, so many times I will say to them, like, who are we working with in in Missouri that could be a great um, voice to kind of draw attention to what we're doing, like with 
you know, the legislation or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, it's about having those connections. Um, and that's again, relating to, to media and stuff, but we do, I mean, we, um, I mean, we even branch out of the United States. I mean, but I would say we have a lot going to deal with in our own country, but I think, you know, having a really great Rolodex of young kids that are in every state and, and we do have that. Absolutely. One final question looking ahead as, as you are and the work that you're doing, GLAD's mission talks about envisioning a world with 100% LGBTQ acceptance. If you were to wake up tomorrow and this vision were to be true, what would that really look like? How would you know? I wouldn't have a job. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I hope that happens eventually. No, I'm just kidding. I think what that means is it's like, and that's, you know, going back to the youth, there are so, there are so many kids now they identify as a queer person, and I and they, and that doesn't necessarily. I don't know a hundred percent what that means in terms of are, do they date boys, do they date girls, both, or, you know. And I think that what it means when we get there is it's just that people can finally just. I mean, here's the thing: it's like I know still how important it is when you have someone speaking who 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 is very high profile that comes out. I know what that means. I saw it when I was growing up. And that does empower people mm. and make them feel better about who they are. It happened yes. to me. But like to answer your question, to get to a place of 100% acceptance, it means that no one has to talk about anything and no one has to fear that if they are a queer person, that anyone will have any sort of um, ill reaction to that or they feel like they have to say who they are and people can just... I mean, I do see it. I mean, there is hope. I mean, you know, some of these... I, I see a lot of kids that, you know, some of them are gay, some are lesbian, some are, you know, trans, some are straight, and they're all just kind of in the same playing field together, and it's great. And so hopefully we can get there. It seems um, a bit fantastical right now in this mm. mode that we're in, but you don't give up hope. No, not at all. And it sounds like a beautiful world to live in. Absolutely. Someday. Sign so, me up. <laughs> absolutely. I'm part of the dream. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anthony. This thank has you. been such a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Anthony's perspective on authentic storytelling is a theme that runs through this podcast. As I mentioned in our very first episode of Living Untitled, our name and my entire philosophy around being untitled, living untitled and embracing that our future is untitled, is just about being human. Accepting that we're all just human, and that's enough. That's more than enough of a reason to make the world a better place for all of us. Storytelling, particularly the kind of authentic storytelling that organizations like GLAAD use to help us see the world and celebrate all of our humanity can do so much to help us visualize a better tomorrow. Now, as a quick resource for this episode, I encourage you to check out GLAAD's website. That's glaad.org to explore some of the organization's work. There you can find more information on their Media Institute that Anthony mentioned during our conversation as well as a number of valuable reports and of course, a number of ways to get involved and support GLAD's efforts. This episode was produced by the Untitled Future team. For more information about Untitled Future, please visit us at untitledfuture.com or follow us on LinkedIn. And for more episodes, please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to podcasts. Once again, I'm your host, Justin Boone. Thanks for listening. And remember, life's better when you belong.